Okay, okay. Now, the eagle-eyed amongst you will have noticed something this afternoon, uh, namely that I am not Emily. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said that I'm not speaking again for two more months. Hi, here I am. I'm speaking today. Uh, and also, Emily read uh, the chapters for this week. Emily was due to speak this week, and we got to the beginning of this week, and Emily looked, me, looked at me and said, look, mate, you're stuck in all week, and I'm picking up all of your jobs, so you're picking up one of mine. So, hi, everyone. I'm Emily. How's it going? So, we are in the middle of a absolutely fascinating series on the book of Luke. As a church, we are reading through uh, one of the biographies of Jesus' life, the book of Luke, and we are highlighting the theme of justice. It's like a gong that we're ringing each week until the theme of justice is so ingrained in our bones that it will never go away. If you've missed any of this series so far, I thoroughly recommend you go and check out the podcast where all of the episodes and the readings are so far. Uh, Also, in the weekly email, there's the little chapters of which chapters we're reading each week, so read along listen along, keep pace, and also most of the home groups are engaging with, the, with uh, this as well. So it's a really deep dive. I'm really enjoying it, but then I've drunk the Kool-Aid, so there we go. Um, so yeah, do, uh, do get involved. We are doing chapters 9 and 10 this week. So in case you missed it, Jesus sends out 12 of his disciples with instructions to heal people and preach the good news about the kingdom of God. He feeds 5,000 people with one boy's lunchbox, which is pretty dramatic. He starts to predict and talk about his own death. He goes up a hill and starts glowing. That's that. He heals a whole bunch of other people. Um, He talks about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. He sends out even more disciples, 72 this time. Um, And then he lays out some really beautiful teaching on loving God and loving other human beings. And then he tells a famous story of the Good Samaritan. It's that story that I'm sure most of us know um, about somebody who falls by the side of the road and uh, two religious people walk past this guy injured on the side of the road and completely ignore them. And then one Samaritan, so Rob just mentioned the Samaritans, these guys were despised, walks by and generously helps this person. It's a really, really provocative story which has inspired people for thousands of years. So that's found in chapter 10 of Luke. It is absolutely jam-packed. Honestly, I was spoiled for choice for what to speak on this week, so I was quite pleased uh, for the opportunity. Thank you, Emily. You're very you're very kind. Um, so this week we are talking about getting a job done properly. We're talking about getting a job done properly. Hands up in the room, please. Anybody who dabbles in a little bit of DIY. Any DIYers? Yes, a fair few. There's a few conscientious abstainers. I'm like, no. Um, so anybody would, would anyone go so far as to say that they are proficient in DIY? Uh, no? Why are you shaking your head? We've got some very British humility there. David, yes, standard, fair play. If you want any plastering done, yes, would you rate your services? Average, okay. If you would like some average plastering, see David. Um, Anybody know what a bodge is? Yes, definition of a bodge? Say again. Badges, mate, yes, very good. So a, a bodge is when you kind of do a little quick fix on something, isn't it? It's when you do like a job half well. Um, now, anybody here would say that they're proficient in bodging? Hand very much in the air for me. I love a bodge. I absolutely love a bodge. Um, I have some bodges for us to cut some judgment on. I wanted to find some different ones, but all of the ones I could find were to do with cars. So here we are. Here we are. Here's a wing mirror that's come off. Um, and there's actually quite a rich vein of internet wing mirror replacements that you can check out. That was the smallest mirror that I could find. Uh, there's another one. Let's see what else have we got. 
Now, this reminds all of us, if we, um, if we have a... Any, has anybody not got uh, a spare tire in the back of their car? Yeah, see, my hand is up because this reminded me that I need to replace mine. I don't want to... That looks like it's being held together with sellotape. Like, that's not going anywhere. There's one final one, which I quite liked. I don't see anything wrong with that. So for the benefits of the podcast, that's a car with a little kind of trolley wheel as a replacement on the back. I quite like that one. Um, but I love a bodge. Quick, cheap, easy, effective. Um, what I don't love is when a bodge fails. Now, we used to have in our downstairs toilet, down, like, the flush. It was like, you know when you have a knack to doing the flush, and you'd, you'd kind of pull it, and it'd go, like that. And, you, and people would come out of the toilet and go, sorry, I've just done something rather large in your downstairs loo, and the flush doesn't work. And you're like, oh, yeah, sorry, there's a knack. There's, and you have to kind of, like, pump it backwards three times before it worked. And I lost count of the amount of times that the girls just came off holding the flush and just went, daddy, this happened. Um, and so I must have bodged that thing about a hundred times until finally one day Emily just said, fix it, please. So I went to B&Q, I bought a new flush, I then went back to B&Q because, hey, if you go to B&Q once in a day, you will go at least once more because you haven't got the right thing or you forgot something. And the toilet is now fixed, thank you very much. No bodge there. So just find some friendly people around you. If you're not near some friendly people, move and ask the question, who, how do you feel about bodging? I want to hear some of your stories. Are you a bodger? Do you abhor bodgers? Have you got any stories of bodgers? Who's the biggest bodger you know? Take a couple of minutes and then well, I want some feedback, okay? So talk, tell me about some bodgers. Okay, I want to hear some stories. Let's have some stories. Who's got a good one? Go on then. I used a, a cable tie as a hair bubble yesterday. Yes, cable tie for a hair bubble. Emma was like, got anything. I was like, I do. A dad's pocket. There's always something. Anybody else? Bodgers? Yeah, go on, Craig. I fixed my mate's uh, car exhaust with tin foil and cable ties. Tin foil and cable ties. How long did it last? Did it four times in a month. Successful bodge or not, I leave you to be the judge. One more. Anybody else? Yes. Someone drove into my wing mirror and broke it, so I duct taped it together and then drove 100 and... <laughs> duct taped it together. My friend, that's no bodge. That is, that's, that's legitimate as far as I'm concerned. Very good. What's the general feeling in the room? Do we like bodges or not? Yeah, do we like bodges? Depends if they work. Let's face it, they never do. So really we know that a bodge just won't do. If we want to do a job properly, we need to look for the root cause and fix it. It's often more work, it's often more expensive, but in the long run, we all know it's the right thing to do. Like, you never regret doing a job properly, do you? And so far this term, as I said, we've been talking about injustice. We've spent a lot of time identifying what, it, what we mean by injustice and naming some modern examples. So we've talked about wealth inequality, we've talked about people who are outcasts for whatever reason, we've talked about the poor and the needy, the rich and the greedy. And basically, we spent a whole bunch of time observing that the world we live in is full of injustice. To put it, and uh, the world is broken. To put it plainly, Jesus' motivation in coming was to bring justice, was to put the world right again, to fix the broken world. Now, Jesus is not in the business of bodging. He wants to do the job properly. So today, I just want to make a couple of observations from the chapters that we were reading um, to see um, what Jesus seems to think is the root cause of our justice problem, and to see what Jesus seems to think the solution to the problem is. Um, 
Because Jesus is, after all, a tradesperson. He was probably a brickie, and he believes in doing a job once and properly. So, Jesus knows the world is broken. He's come to fix it. Let's dive in and figure out what Jesus thinks has caused the problem and what he's going to do about it. Now, there's a little exchange between Jesus and his disciples halfway through chapter 10 in verse 17. Now, this is just after Jesus has sent out 72 of his disciples to tell people about the kingdom of God, to pray for people to be healed, and to cast out demons. And Jesus says this, Sorry, it says this in chapter 10. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Ooh. Did you catch that? Very provocative thing that Jesus says there. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That is provocative language. What on earth does Jesus mean by that? Now, I'm going to guess that most of us in the room have heard that name, Satan, before. That name kind of crops up every now and again, especially when you're playing the Christian opposites game. You know, light and dark, heaven and hell, God and Satan. Uh, Generally speaking, we understand um, this guy to be God's worst enemy. Now, actually, as it goes, Satan is not actually a name. It's actually a position. So the people who, it's actually the Satan. So people who were uh, listening to Jesus would have understood that he was actually saying the accuser or the opposer, the person who is up against you. So we turn it into a name when actually it's not. Um, Jesus seems to be walking around with this belief that the devil is real, that there is such a thing as demons who oppress people. In fact, Jesus seems to have interactions with these demons and unclean spirits all the time. Has anybody else noticed this as we've been reading through the chapters? Like, It happens fairly frequently. Last week, he cast a bunch out, and they went into some pigs. This week, there's a little boy who was oppressed and thrown about by some kind of evil spirit. And next week, we're going to be here about someone who was blind and mute. And after Jesus gets rid of this unclean spirit, he can see and speak again. This is not something that we talk about much, is it? Let's just be honest. It doesn't tend to interrupt our weekly rhythms and our trips to Tesco's. What do you think about the idea of the devil? just going to throw that one out there. What do you think about the idea of unclean spirits? Like, do you find it's easier to believe in God or to believe in the devil? Do you think it's all a bunch of nonsense? Is there anything to it? Hmm, I don't know. Let's take a couple of minutes in those little groups that we were in, and let's just kick it about for a bit and see where we get to. Now, there's no right answers and wrong answers here, and let's remember that everyone in the room is coming from a different experience and might be in a different place on their journey, so this isn't a case of like bashing people over their heads with their Bible and this is the correct answer. Let's hear where people are coming from, and let's be honest. Like, do we believe that this is real? Is this just kind of ancient mumbo-jumbo? A couple of minutes, and then we'll be back. Okay, let's hear from some of you guys. So, is anybody feeling brave enough to say something into the microphone? Put your hand up if you're feeling brave enough. Okay. Um, I just think it's easier to believe in God because we're encouraged to form a relationship with him. Okay, very good. Thank you, Abby. Very good. Anybody else got any thoughts? As I say, there's no wrong answers here. We're all on journeys. So, what does anyone else think? Yeah, again, you're going to have to come towards me, I think. 
I think that like you kind of have to believe in both because how can you have like how can you know what good is if you don't know what bad is? Yeah, very good. I like that thinking. Very good. One more, maybe. Anybody got anything else they want to add? No wrong answers. Yeah, it's just got to be really careful, is what Emily says. Okay, very good. Now I've got to be honest. I find all of this talk about devils and demons a bit much. I'm just going to be really honest. Um, it kind of interrupts the nice, clean, middle-class Christianity that I'm trying to form my, for myself over here. Um, but that's kind of a problem with Jesus. Nice, clean, and middle-class are three descriptors which just don't stick to him. Now, as much as the idea isn't necessarily my favorite, it was the worldview that Jesus was walking around with. And it gets to the core of what Jesus thought was wrong with the world that he was walking around in. It was, from Jesus' perspective, the cause of the brokenness and the injustice in the world. Now, in a nutshell, Jesus believed that thousands of years ago, he and Father God had made this beautiful world, and he'd created the world for humans to live in. And he believed that God had given those humans a wonderful, dignifying gift, the gift of free will, the choice of how to live, who to love, and who to give their allegiance to. And Jesus believed that God had laid everything out for mankind and given them every chance to live allied to him but instead humanity had used that gift and just thrown it back in God's face choosing to rule themselves by their own wisdom rather than his and Jesus believed that the devil was the one who had motivated mankind to make that choice in the first place one of the first stories we read in our Bibles is that famous story of a snake in a garden convincing a woman to eat a piece of fruit a very mysterious story but it's basically a story of the devil setting himself up in opposition to God and making a move for the affection and the allegiance of mankind and our Bibles go on to tell the story about how the devil has continued to be part of human history um, pushing people and pulling people towards greed and selfishness and violence and hatred and spreading injustice throughout the world. From Jesus' perspective, he is standing in the wonderful and beautiful world that he had made, and he was witnessing all of the ways that humans had messed up and introduced injustice, inspired by the influence of this embodiment of evil that we call the devil. That is what Jesus believed. Now, if we're not careful here, we can kind of consign this thinking to the realm of fantasy and imagination. If we're not careful, we can kind of write this off as like silly, primitive, ancient history and ancient worldviews. But if we think about it, I think this idea of evil and this, especially this idea of a, a force having a say in our lives, pushing us towards selfishness and greed, pushing us towards acts of injustice, I don't know about you guys, but I think that that's actually a daily lived reality for most of us. I would say probably all of us. Let's just be really honest and blunt here. How many of us can relate to thinking or wanting to do something which is very much against our better nature? How many of us know that we have to keep silent that voice that speaks down about people from different cultures or different races or people who speak a different language to us? Well, how many of us know that we need to push against the desire to look down on people who are considerably poorer than us or, or shake a fist at those who are considerably richer than us? How many of us can relate to the relentless lure of pornography pulling us into destructive thought patterns? Now, how many of us have felt the temptation to just help ourselves to something that just fundamentally does not belong to us? 
or spend time on ourselves looking after me when my family and those around me desperately need my help. Is that just me? Is that just, does anybody else relate to that force, that pull, that push? Is it just me? Because if it's just me, I shouldn't be doing this, and one of you should be up here. I'm being really honest. I identify with all of those, and I imagine that most of us in the room would as well. We can all relate to that force, that pull, that push, to selfishness, greed, and self-gratification. The Bible has a little word it uses for that. It's called, they call it, it's called temptation. That's the word that it uses. It's a present force in all of our lives. Let's not pretend that it's not. And Jesus' worldview is actually very simple and very elegant. He believed that that voice, that force, was an embodiment of spiritual evil, an embodiment of darkness and everything that's wrong with the world. He believed that that force um, was at work in the world, leading humans astray and spreading this path of injustice in its wake. And he believed that by humans turning away from God's wisdom and love, humans were unknowingly and unwittingly handing the world over to the devil. And so when Jesus looks at the brokenness of the world, all the injustice and even the sickness, what does he see as the root of the problem? He sees the root of the problem as the devil and his minions. And Jesus says, so when Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, that's good news. We get this wonderful picture of this horrible deceiver who's caused so much chaos and devastation and pain, who's basically ruling this world from a high platform, having that platform knocked from underneath him, and he's tumbling to the ground. This is good news. Jesus says, I saw him fall. His reign is over. The kingdom of God is here, and the reign of darkness is at an end. At this point, you say, Amen. There you go. Thank you very much. Um, so, to summarize, Jesus thinks the world is broken. And what does he go? To, um, yeah, sorry. Jesus thinks that the world is broken, and he blames the devil for breaking it. So, that's this bit. What's wrong with the world? Devil's broken it. Over on this side. Jesus the tradesman. He doesn't believe in bodges. He wants to do a job properly. So what does Jesus do about it? What is Jesus the tradesman's solution for fixing the problem? Because he's not going to bodge it. He's going to do the job properly. Any ideas? What is... Oh, yeah, yes. Duct tape. Wrap it in duct tape. Very good. Any other ideas? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, now, I've got to be honest, I trust Jesus and all. Um, I'm not sure if I agree with his plan. Again, you're all thinking about joining a different church. Mariners are great. Um, I'm not sure if I agree with his plan. I think if I was him, I just would have pew, zapped the devil. He probably could have done that. But he kind of chooses not to do that. Um, Jesus seems to have something else in mind. Let me tell you what I mean. Jesus seems to think that in order for human beings to be truly free from the devil's tyranny, we actually need to be part of the process of kicking him out. That in order for humans to be truly free from the devil's tyranny, we need to be part of the process of kicking him out. Let me tell you what I mean. If you go back and you read chapters 9 and 10 again, and you look for all of the moments when Jesus tells his disciples to go and do it, you will see it again and again and again. Chapter 9, Jesus calls the, the 12 together, and he sends them out to heal the sick, cast out demons, and preach the good news of the kingdom. When Jesus feeds 5,000 people from a boy's lunchbox, what does he say to his disciples? He says to them, you give them something to eat. He asks them to go and do it. 
There's this funny moment when Jesus has to cast a demon out of a boy because his disciples couldn't do it. And then five minutes later, the disciples are back being like, Jesus, there's some randomer over there casting out uh, demons in your name. Should we tell him to stop? And Jesus is like, no, he's got it. He's doing it. He's got it right. Let him crack on. And Jesus sends out 70 more, 72 more disciples to preach the good news, and, and they come back with the news that people were healed and the demons obeyed them. Jesus says to them, remember, I have given you authority over evil spirits. And then to top it all off, at the end of chapter 10, we read the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And what is that if not a story for each of us to take responsibility, to choose to act, to do something, that the responsibility lies with us? I don't know about you, but to me, this comes across loud and clear, that Jesus is not interested in being a superhero. He's not hogging all the toys. He's not to show off and to be here to show off and be the big hero. His agenda is to invite his followers onto his mission. His agenda is to create communities inspired by his life and message who will continue his work after him. Jesus was constantly saying to his disciples and his followers, go on, get on with it. It's your turn. And I think Jesus, if he was standing here today, would say the same thing to us in Gloucester in 2022. Go on, get on with it. It's your turn. What are you waiting for? You've been talking and thinking about injustice. Now get up and do something about it. You've been talking and thinking about praying for healing. Now is the time. Get up and do something about it. It's no use sitting in this lovely, comfortable building with our arms folded, tutting about the state of the world. And... Um, I'm sorry, I just want to read this properly, otherwise I'm going to say something I regret. Uh, Tutting about the state of the world and then not going and doing something about it. We're going to be unpacking this more next week, but how often do we pray for Jesus to step in and do the thing which he has given us permission and authority to do? How often do we sit and wait and pray when Jesus has asked us to start acting? I remember we had this three years ago. We were praying for God to help those who were suffering under crippling debt in our city. And we just felt God say loud and clear, I'm ready when you are. Get on with it. And so with a whole bunch of other churches in the city, we rallied together and opened the Gloucester Debt Center. And how many of us have felt really... um, Our hearts have been broken to see the refugee crisis all over the world the last couple of years. And a couple of weeks ago, as we know, a whole bunch of asylum seekers landed in our county. Like... And they've got nothing, they've got nothing with them but the clothes on their back. What should we do? Should we pray for those people that God would clothe them? Yes, of course we should. Should we also get off our bums and collect some clothes and make sure that we clothe them? Yes, absolutely. Of course we should. I want to just finish our time today by just being really honest about why I think we don't do this. Why I think this isn't the way that we live. Because Jesus was really upfront about this. In fact, he basically said it twice in two different ways this week. Um, And that is because getting off our bums and doing something about it costs us everything. Now, let's not pretend that this doesn't come at a cost. Jesus said it like this. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, anybody who wants to be my follower, be a Christian, to be saved by Jesus, what must you do? Is it praying a prayer? Is it following some rules? He says, no, you must give up your own way. Stop living for yourself. Stop listening to the voice of the devil leading you towards rebellion and greed and selfishness. And he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. 
And a cross is like an instrument of death. It means dying to your old way and living Jesus' way instead. It's exactly what uh, Darren did last week if you were here for the baptism. That was Darren symbolically saying, I'm done with that. I'm dying to that and I'm living for something else. You know, let's not over-spiritualize this. Jesus is talking about a lifestyle here. Jesus goes on to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? I think this afternoon Jesus is inviting us to follow him with everything that we have. He's inviting us to pray for the sick to be healed. He's inviting us to identify and combat spiritual evil where we see it. Be that with a cup of tea or with praying our best prayer. He's inviting us to stop and think about that homeless guy. Talk to him. Go and buy him a drink. Ask his name. You know, see if there's anything that he needs. Point him towards Gloucester City Mission. He's asking us to consider giving up our evenings to go and join in with the street pastors, to go and bless the people who are searching for life and fulfillment in the nightclubs and pubs of our city. He's inviting us to live every day ready to be interrupted, to bring justice to this broken world. Whether we like it or not, we are Jesus' solution to the world's brokenness problem. Now, we need to remember this. He went first. He did the hard work. He did the work that we could never do on the cross. But we are his solution as well. He sent us. He is sending you. Now, I stand before you today as a hypocrite. In that story of the Good Samaritan that we read this week, I'm pretty much that priest who wandered by. I've been that priest on so many occasions. I'm not standing here because I've got this all right. I almost didn't want to do this series on justice because if I'm honest, I'm painfully aware of all of the ways that I don't measure up here, that I'm not up to scratch, that I'm not living this just life that Jesus is calling me to. But this is not a moment for us to kind of say, woe is me, I'm rubbish, I haven't done good enough. This is a moment for us to acknowledge the statement that Jesus is making about the extraordinarily high regard that he has for all of us. That he is sending us, he's sending us, not because we're good enough, not because we're brave enough, not because we're resourced enough, not because we've got a glowing track record or because we're gifted. He's sending us because he trusts us. He's sending us because he loves us. And he's sending us because he knows that we can do it. And I suspect also that he's sending us because cultivating that lifestyle of relentless justice is the very process by which we become fully alive and truly human. Embo, do you want to come and join me? So we're going to take all of two minutes to respond to this now. I mean, come on, this is, going to be, this is going to be a McDonald's ministry time in a bag. Let's do this. So I need full engagement, okay. The children will rejoin us in two minutes. This should be fun. Um, we are going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us, to come and minister to us, to come and heal us and restore us. Because let's face it, I personally have come to a realization that I am just nothing. I'm nothing without him. 
And if you've come to that realization too, then you know that you need to be filled up with him to be of any, of, of any use. That first story in the Bible that we touched on today, where the devil first whispers in a human's ear and sends them astray and fills the world with injustice, there's a little promise just nestled into the middle of that story that one day somebody would come to crush the devil. It says a man will crush his head. It will stand on the snake's head. And this week and every week, we celebrate that Jesus, that God himself, became a human and crushed the snake. But let's also remember what Jesus said when those 32 disciples came back. Go and read it later. He says, you will walk among snakes and scorpions and you will crush their heads. Now, in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. And remember that moment when Jesus died and crushed the snake once and for all. But we're also going to take that moment to take that commission really seriously for ourselves. That Jesus is sending each and every one of us out to crush the snakes that we see on our streets, in our workplaces, and in our city. To seek the ways that our world is being ruled by injustice and call time on it in the name of Jesus, in the ways that we've been tasked to do. To be the Good Samaritan wherever we go. So why don't we all stand together? That's the part where you stand up. And I'm just going to pray. And if you want to respond, I just want to encourage you to hold your hands out like this as if you're going to receive a gift. And some people like to close their eyes at this stage. That's just a way of cutting out all of the other distractions in the room.